Welcome into the Awesome Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Freeman. On today's show, we have a guest, the National Recruiting Editor, friend of mine, Brandon Huffman. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Matt. We're going to stuff fans out there that listen to the show. We've been doing a ton of recruiting, and with Brandon now, we're going to... On the, the rankings committee, he's the national recruiting editor. We're going to just kind of look at the entire class in 2021 and kind of what can come down the pipe for Oregon. And, and re- Brandon, right now, the Ducks are coming off a month in May where they landed seven commitments at one month. What do you think right now is making this program an attractive school for this kind of a run of seven commitments in one month? Well, I think there's a combination of factors. I think, you know, one obviously being their success on the field, you know, coming off a Rose Bowl win, a Pac-12 championship, having Justin Herbert drafted in the first round. You know, there's a lot of buzz about what they've done on the field. And then off the field, they have recruited well the last couple of classes and really knocked it out of the park at their 2020 class with the Justin Flo Noah Sewell combo with other key signees. So there's a lot of momentum being built on and off the field. And, you know, in some cases you have schools that maybe their momentum has been limited to on the field, but they're not quite getting any recruiting cachet. There's other schools that maybe their on-field success hasn't been great in the last couple of classes, but they've got momentum in recruiting. I think that Oregon's sitting in a position right now where they've got probably that enviable spot more enviable than anybody in the Pac-12 where they have the on-field success, coupling it with the off-the-field success in recruiting. And, I mean, if you thought June was good, I mean, or if you thought May was good, I think June could continue to contribute to a lot of excitement in Eugene and July, you know, could follow suit as well. And it's interesting too because Oregon has really recruited well the last couple of years, particularly in the spring, whether it was a spring game, whether it was going into summer and Saturday Night Live. They've really done a good job getting guys on campus and building momentum. Now they're building momentum with the last time they had guys on campus for visits being the first weekend in March. So that's when you know your programs arrive where you can withstand kind of the obstacles recruiting is facing right now just from an evaluation, uh, from a contact standpoint, and Oregon doesn't show really any signs of slowing down. Now, one thing that I've really noticed, and I think out west – very popular term that by fans, whether it's at Oregon or other schools, is and I use air quotes on this is the SEC approach. Um, and when people say that, I look at that as Oregon. As one of the biggest changes they made when Chris and coach was their ability to recruit beyond that current class. And you kind of just touched on you know, getting guys on campus so early. What's going on right now? How, how important do you feel like Oregon's ability to? Because you look at the commits that they have, and ten of the twelve commits have visited Oregon already, mm-hmm. and a lot of the guys that are deciding in June, July, or maybe, and you don't know what the recruiting period is going to be, but a lot of those guys have also already visited. How how? How much of the fact do you feel like you know, Oregon's approach of going after guys extremely earlier than traditionally known at Oregon 
sophomores factored into this year's success? Well, I, I think it, it certainly is factored in, and I think that Oregon obviously was in a, in a unique position too, where so we put a pause right there, put a bookmark right there. This was the first year that the NCA essentially ruled February was a dead period. So a lot of schools would normally do a, a you know a junior day in late January, or they would do one in February shortly after signing day. A couple schools did it that final weekend in January before the dead period in February, and then everybody took February off. Then most people were planning to do March, April, and May for junior day and visits. Oregon did theirs that very first weekend in March. I think it was the the 7th and the 8th is when they had the majority of key recruits. There was a a big 7-on-7 tournament in Portland. So they were able to get some guys to come to play in that tournament to come either down for, you know, an unofficial visit or to come in for a junior day. But just from a, you know, pure coincidence standpoint, Oregon had that last weekend earmarked as a big visit weekend. And unbeknownst to anybody else, the next weekend things would get shut down. So they timed it perfectly, you know, unintentionally. Nobody foresaw a pandemic coming, but Oregon at least got that weekend in. So I think that was key because there's a lot of schools that haven't had anybody visit since the fall. You know, the last time that they had visitors on campus was maybe during the unofficial visit prior to the December signing period. Oregon had guys come in in January because there was a big seven-on-seven tournament in Seattle in January. So they got guys on campus in January and in March, which many schools can't, cannot say that they did. But I also think, you know, to, to your question, is that they've done a really good job of identifying and offering guys early. And that's where, you know, one of the things that I've noticed a lot in the last few years is you're seeing more and more guys make earlier commitments and sticking with those commitments because the recruiting process has started so much sooner for players. They, they're getting on campus as freshmen and sophomore as opposed to the old day where maybe the end of your sophomore year at the earliest is when you got on campus. A lot of these guys have been on campuses three or four times already by the time they're halfway through high school. So they already know where they want to go. They've already seen what they need to see, you know, what, where Oregon has done so well is getting those early offers out to guys when they're freshmen and sophomores so that makes those guys want to come up and visit and again nobody foresaw a pandemic coming but that's where Oregon really did a good job getting on it is they kind of prepared for a worst case scenario which is what it seems like we're in right now let's go back to the payment in May and is there any one guy that in your mind that just stands out not necessarily maybe like the, the most talented guy I look at, at the tight end position in this, this cycle for Oregon. That was one in which they absolutely needed to get tight ends because they didn't sign one the year before. And, and quite honestly, they probably need to sign two. And so getting a tight end in this class has really done that now. Auto committee. Is there a guy out there that you just stand out as, wow, it's a really good win fan? That was really still a really important position. Yeah, I would say Bram Walden is obviously a big get. I mean, it's been no secret that Mario Cristobal wants to recruit offensive linemen as a priority. You know, a lot of schools, I think, want an offensive lineman as a priority, but when your head coach is an offensive lineman at the heart, that's going to make that position's recruitment that much more key and important. And, you know, obviously Bram Walden's going to be in a position where he may be able to come in and play as a true freshman. Uh, you, you're most likely going, I mean, this isn't a shock to any Oregon fan if I say this, but I mean, there's a very good chance Pade Sewell plays one more year in, in Oregon and then he goes to the NFL where he's not going to be sitting around long 
in the green room. And, you know, not to say that Bram Walden comes in immediately and replaces him, but Bram Walden has the talent where he could play as a true freshman. And I think we're seeing more and more true freshman offense linemen. Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons why Walden's significant. One, it continues to shore up, you know, offensive line recruiting to make sure that each and every year Oregon is signing top offensive linemen. You get him, you got Jonah Miller, you got Jackson Light in this class. So you've got, you know, two tackles and then you got a center guy who's got that you know, ability to, to play the center position. But with Walden, you not just get a player that, you know, could come in and, and take over Penesuo. This is a guy who was the top lineman on several teams' boards. Um, you know, he – between and you're not even done yet. I mean, we, there's still the heavy lead for Kingsley Suataya where, you know, he probably is more likely to come in and play – for Panay, but again, the burden hand is the one that you want. And, and Bram, you, you take a guy here who had offers from just about every Pac-12 school. I think he might be one of the only players in the country that has all 12 Pac-12 offers. So not only do you get him when you're Oregon, but 11 other Pac-12 conference foes miss out on the key offensive lineman. So I think he's a win in a number of ways. But I also think, again, where, where he's significant is – you're crippling your conference rivals, but at the same time, you're causing problems in the state of Arizona for Arizona State and University of Arizona. I mean, it's been no surprise that uh, Arizona State has continued to recruit well. You know, that's one thing that they've done really well under Herm Edwards. Uh, but as they've been successful in these first two years under him, they still have kind of been bleeding when it comes to keeping key in-state players and one thing is, is, you know, Saguaro High School has not been necessarily great to ASU despite having a number of recruits. Meanwhile, Oregon goes in and they get Bram Walden after already getting Ty Thompson. They've got Jonah Moore. So they've got three of the top six players in the state of Arizona. And to me, that's significant. Anytime you can get three of the top five or six players in your conference footprint, I think that's key. And I think when you can get a guy like Bram Walden, who not only do you hurt all 11 teams, but you really hurt a team that's seemingly building momentum and you're, you're seeing a lot more Oregon and Arizona State recruiting battles, I think, you know, Walden's a win for a number of reasons. Brandon, focus on the back half of this class now. It feels like Oregon's maybe probably you know, halfway there in terms of filling out this class. They're 10th in the country right now. They're second in the Pac-12. Got eight four-star commitment. This class on track to where you think it should be, and just kind of um, what's the focus? And you look at the, the whole scope of this class, broad perspective. What kind of the focus do you feel like? You know, I I, I think the focus is going to clearly be on wide receivers. You know, they got their hands in on a number of top receivers, but. Two of them happen to be the top two receivers in the state of California, and Emeka Buka and Xavier Worthy, and both players. I'm sorry, not Emeka Buka, Troy Franklin and Xavier Worthy. They were in on Emeka before he narrowed down to Final Four. Troy Franklin, who's the top receiver in California, number two receiver out west behind Buka. and then you have Xavier Worthy, who's a speedster out of Fresno. You could really make a case that those two guys are, are heavy organ leans. In the case of Worthy, I think he is a much heavier lean than Troy Franklin. There's still a little bit of a battle for Troy Franklin, but you know, I saw you joined me and recently putting in a crystal ball there and Kevin Wade did that a while ago. 
Um, and then you get Dante Thornton back east. So you could potentially see Oregon, you know, land three premier receivers that have offers from all over. Uh, and again, you know, Troy Franklin, his final four included Arizona State, but it also includes Washington, who Oregon goes toe-to-toe with. You, you look at Xavier Worthy. I mean, his top six, four SEC schools, Michigan and Oregon. Uh, and then you throw in Dante Thornton, who's got offers from all over the country, but Arizona State's on his short list too. So even with some of the Eastern guys, there's a little bit of an Arizona State-Oregon recruiting battle going on. So I think receivers, to, you know, to complement Kyron Ware-Hudson, who they already have as a commitment, plus you get the big tight end and Maliki Mataval. So now you throw in a couple pass, pass catchers, and they're all very different. Xavier Worthy is your, your speedy, big-time speedster guy. Dante Thornton is your more big physical receiver. Troy Franklin's another long, lengthy receiver. So that really helps. I also think they're going to continue to, to push on the defensive line. I know they've already got a commitment from Terrell, uh, Terrell Tillman, um, but, you know, you're right in the mix for Peyton Page. You're in the mix for JT Tumolowau. You're in the mix, obviously, heavily for Keanu Williams, who I put a crystal ball in this week. So it's in the trenches and at the receiver's position. I mean, it's not unrealistic to think Oregon could add five or six players just from those two spots. Very quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible Podcast with me, Brandon. All right, welcome back to the Austin Podcast. And uh, we've got the National Recruiting Editor of Brandon Huffman on today's show. And before the break, you kind of previewed a little bit of what I was going to ask you next. Place a couple crystal balls in favor of Oregon. Three of them. Uh, let's just run through each one real quick for a second. First, our cornerback, Jalen Davies, start there. He announces June 19th. Oh, so about two weeks or so. By Oregon, and what type of player is he? You know, one of the things that I really like what Oregon has done in the last couple classes is really emphasize getting players that come from really good high school programs that are playing on big stages already. And that way, when those guys get to college, that transition isn't very hard. It's a, it's a smoother transition because guys are used to playing against elite competition every day in practice. Guys are used to playing elite competition every Friday night. They're going to national events. And I think in the case of Davies, you get a guy who's come from one of the top two, three programs in the country over the last three years. He's been going up against the, the Brew McCoys, the Amon Ross St. Browns of the world in practice over the last couple of years. CJ Williams, you know, He's been going against Kyron Ware-Hudson. I mean, it's been no secret Oregon has been making an impact at modern day. So I think that, you know, in the case of Davies, you get a player who is used to playing against elite players every single day in practice, where his practice matchups might be more difficult than his game matchups. That helps when you get a guy to get on campus is that makes that transition much more smooth and natural with obviously – so the potential to lose some guys in the secondary this next year uh, to draft and early, and then some guys are going to lose a graduation. Davies has that ability to be a plug-and-play right-away guy. So I think you get a guy who, you know, he's not the biggest in the world. He's not, you know, the fastest in the world, but he's just a polished, very college-ready defensive back corner, comes from a great program, plays for, a, you know, a prominent seven-on-seven program. So there, there's a lot of things to like about his ability, but then also just kind of what impact he has off the field. Now, Dave, you're worthy, four-star receiver. You mentioned him earlier. Dead. 
more of a lean to Oregon than... But, um, you were the first one to play the first football for a game. What's the type? What's he as? Speed. Yeah. Deshaun Jackson is something that's fair to him. Yeah. And, and again, that, that might be an unfair comparison because Deshaun Jackson was such a unique player. And I mean, Deshaun Jackson as a high school player is one of the most electric. I mean, he's on my Mount Rushmore since I first started doing this job in 2003. Uh, best players that I've seen come from the West just in terms of what their high school performance was. Not even can what they did in college in the NFL, but there's a lot of similarities to their game. They're both super shifty, both super electric, dynamic, um, the top end speed of Worthy. I mean, he's a guy who ran a 10-600 as a sophomore. He was the only sophomore in the state of California to qualify for the state 100-meter finals. Uh, there was a freshman, Rayshon Luke, who I believe has an Oregon offer out of St. John Bosco, and then the rest were upperclassmen. And Xavier Worthy was the fat, you know, he's officially the fastest 2021 pro- football player and, and really play a uh, track guy in the state of California, um, at least based on last year's testing. So you get a guy who's speed, but he's not just about speed. He's continuing to develop as a receiver. And you, if you watch his film, he's still a little raw. You know, he, he's still the, the kind of guy that needs to continue to, con- to crisp his routes up a little bit more, to become a little bit more refined in that route running and in the way he catches the ball. But man, once that ball hits his hands, he's gone. And once he gets at the line of scrimmage and the quarterback snaps the ball or the center snaps it to the quarterback, he's gone. He's getting separation. So, you know, it's crazy to think that you got a guy that fast, that athletic, who's still a little bit raw as he continues to develop as a pure, true receiver. You know, the sky's the limit for him. So you mentioned Worthy as being someone that is still a little bit raw. And he's a, he's a 40th best receiver in the country. 209th best player, regardless of position. Is he then someone that you would categorize as he could, he could see a, a bump in his ranking if he shows out as a senior, even though he's still a four star prospect? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the big thing for him is going to be is A, they need a quarterback. Their quarterback graduated, but, but B, you know, as good of a player as Jeremiah Hunter was, I think Xavier, he's headed to Cal now. Oregon recruited him last year. I think Xavier Worthy is excited to, for the first time in his high school career, be the primary receiver. You know, he's never been the primary receiver. Jeremiah Hunter was their guy a year ago. I think he had something north of 20 touchdowns and, you know, nearly 2,000 yards. So Xavier Worthy provided Central gets a quarterback and they do have a quarterback. DJ Stevenson uh, transferred in uh, out of, I think he was at Washington Union or B- at Buchanan High School, but now he's at Fresno Central, and they'd love to throw the ball. So that's going to give the opportunity for Xavier Worthy to really shine this year. So in that offense, they were state champion a year ago. They were state semifinalists the year before that. That offense lights the scoreboard up. They're probably, after Folsom High School, the most dynamic offense in the, the central and northern part of the state of California. So I think Worthy, you know, production has been great, but he's – poised to have a gigantic senior season because this will be the first time in his career that he is the featured receiver. Now we'll end it with the run of crystal balls that you placed with four-star defensive end Keanu Williams. Um, this is another four-star player. Uh, you mentioned defensive line is kind of maybe a focus for them with, with Keanu. Just what's kind of his projection and, how has Oregon done such a good job in recruiting him? 
You know, Kiana's a unique kid. So he was getting offers when he was an eighth grader going into high school, and it's been fascinating to watch him kind of develop over the years. He looked like a defensive end early in his career. As he continues to get bigger, you know, he might end up being a defensive tackle, but he's legit 6'4", 6'4 half. 290, 295, he could be a three, he could be a pass rushing end, he could be an inside guy as a tackle. So one of the things with him has just been, you know, he's got some positional versatility, but he could play each spot at a high level. And I think that that's what, you know, he, it's probably better to, to consider him as a defensive lineman rather than a true strong side defensive end because he can go any number of ways. You could slim him down and, and keep him on the edge. You can put him at three. Um, you can put him, you know, as a straight up D tackle. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to just kind of see how he's used in college because he's got a unique body that he could play in that response. It's just a matter of do you add weight, do you take some weight off, or do you leave him as is, and then where does that fit him in? Uh, but a very smart player. Obviously, Stanford has been on his short, short list for, for some time. You know, But it's been fun to watch him just kind of develop over these three or four years out of Fresno. It's interesting. For a guy who had offers before he even started high school, he's still been a relatively quiet recruit, even though he's been to a number of Nike camps, Under Armour camps over the years. He's not huge on social media, although I think he sent a, a, sent a frenzy a few months ago when he posted a video saying, you know, commitment coming soon. I think that was in April. And then I asked him, when are you committing? And it was like, oh, July. And when you do a commitment, <laughs> video, commitment soon video, you're thinking it's imminent, not three months down the line. But, again, he's, he's pretty quiet on the social media. So, at times, he gets overshadowed. And, you know, Fresno's had a good run of players the last couple of years, whether it was Kendall Milton a year ago or Jalen McMillan this year with Xavier Worthy. Uh, but I think Keanu is a, a very talented player and – Having that ability to play a number of three or four different spots on the defensive line certainly is a is a nice kind of addition to your team. Looking at Oregon's class and you know that the, the highest they could go, maybe the the lowest they could go in terms of a finish from a team ranking perspective. Oregon fans right now are talking about the possibility of this being the best class in school history. I, I I've said that. The way things are projecting right now, it's certainly going to contend with that 2019 class that finished in, I believe, seventh in the country uh, for their best class in school history. The, my issue, though, is is are they going to sign enough guys to to get that high? Because I I just don't see how they get to 25 right now unless they Oregon is expecting a huge run of guys going pro early because. Looking at the numbers and the scholarships and whatnot, they have, I believe, 18 seniors on the roster right now, and uh, they're, they're kind of getting close to that number um, already. But what what do you feel like is the the ceiling for this class? Can they can they be one of those top five teams in the country when we wrap the bow on 2021? I, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that they can. You know, like you said, the key is going to be. Will they have the numbers? Will they have the pure numbers to be able to pull that off? Uh, because typically the teams that are ending up in the top spot that are ranked number one either have a gigantic amount of five stars or they've got, you know, 25 really, really good players. And so I think last year there was only one school in the country that finished in the top 10 with less than with 20 commits or less, and that was Texas, and some pretty highly rated recruits were in that class. 
But I, I think Oregon certainly has a top-heavy class right now. And, you know, you add a Keanu Williams, a Xavier Worthy, a Troy Franklin, a Jalen Davies, a Kingsley Sumatai, you know, that that's two or three top 100 guys, uh, you know, a couple more top 247 guys. And, you know, they're still in the mix for other national players, a Dante Thornton. They're in the mix for a JT2 Mullowell. So, you know, after the way they closed in 2018, or 2019's class and 2020's class, it's not unreasonable to think. So it's one of those where they could be one of those unique classes that doesn't hit 25, but it's so, there's so much top end talent that they get there. But I also think that they're, you know, going to probably have a few more scholarships to work with by the time we get to the signing period, whenever that might be. Um, and I think that that puts them in a position where, you know, you, you can start talking top five in a country type of class. We're speaking with Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. And we'll end on this, Brandon. Um, this is being dubbed kind of the year of the decommitment because of COVID and, you know, players across the country, not just at Oregon, having to make verbal commitments for the most part sight unseen right now. And I think that naturally is going to lead to decommitments. And I'm 100% on board with this idea that, that we could see a huge rush of decommitments that we normally haven't seen. Um, but do you feel like it's easier right now? Because the way Oregon's going, are, are, are they – is the strategy where being done or being 75% done with your class going into the season and then – just recruiting those current commits to stay committed and maybe a handful of other guys for your, you know, final four or five spots is in your eyes, is that a better scenario than having to go into a season and, and trying to fill a class of, you know, maybe seven, you know, the, the 15 spots that, that you still need to fill? No question. I mean, you know, you just look in the Pac-12 North, Stanford's got what? Two commits right now, maybe three commits in this class, four at the most. Um, you know, and Stanford's one of those schools where it's hard enough trying to recruit there with the academic restrictions. But when you only have four commits going into a very unique year, that's not enough. Whereas Oregon has already at least half of a class, you know, not signed, sealed, and delivered, but at least committed. And more importantly, they've got the top player in their, in their own state committed. They have a quarterback committed, an elite quarterback, you know, a top 10 quarterback at his position committed. You've got a big-time offensive lineman committed. So it's not just the, the quality or the, the quantity that they've got committed right now. They have the quality where they can start to be a little more picky and, and not have to scramble like some schools may have to scramble because their recruiting classes aren't very big right now. I think Oregon's in a position where, you know, we used to see that with Texas and, under Mac Brown. They would have their junior day in February or March and have 20 commits by the end of spring for the following February. And that allows you to move on to the next class pretty quickly. So I think that, you know, Oregon puts themselves in a position where they, they do recruit aggressively, but really methodically. And, you know, again, we talked about it with the junior day. I mean, they never knew a pandemic worldwide was going to happen, but in retrospect, Boom, having that weekend gave them an advantage that the majority of the Pac-12 schools didn't get to enjoy. Now, with 12 commits already in early June and the potential to add five or six more before between now and the end of July, you know, they're in that very enviable spot where if 
they couldn't land another player after those five or six commit. They still got a top 20 type of class. Uh, but you, you get to be a little bit more methodical and deliberate when you co- you know, cover a lot of bases with your commits. When you've got three offensive linemen committed, when you've got a quarterback, you know, when you've got some defensive guys. And, and I think, you know, when, when you're on the very, very short list for a couple of guys too, that gives you a better idea. This is who we focus in on rather than being a school that's got three or four commits. You're like, crap, we got to get 22 more guys signed. And there's not a lot of options out West. Oregon's kind of in that individual position where it's like, Hey, we've got a good chunk of our top priorities already locked in. Now we just need to maintain those relationships, but then we can really focus on the guys we don't have yet. And you're not panicking and adding guys just for the sake of adding bodies. Brandon, I'm, I'm going to break my rule. I lied. I have one more question, and it's hmm. it's not organ-centric per se, but name, image, and likeness, um, that's going to come into play with athletes being able to profit off that in a couple years. I think the rule is 2021 of fall, so the 2022 recruiting class would have the chance, I, th- I think, to be the first class. Um, how... I'm trying to phrase this right. How how much of a factor do you feel like brand image and likeness and what a school can provide in that regard to an athlete will will play into a recruitment? I think it's going to be huge because I think you're going to need to sell that to a recruit that they're going to have that opportunity. Where I think the disconnect seems to lie is that every kid thinks that their name, image, and likeness is going to be worth millions to them personally. At the end of the day, there's going to maybe be five to seven guys tops, and that might be, you know, generous, and that might just be the top programs that really have the ability to capitalize on their own name, image, and likeness. You know, it's like we see in recruiting rankings. You know, you can be the best long snapper in the country, but you're a two-star, you're the 25th player in a class, (laughs) even though you're the best long snapper in the country. But – there's not going to be as much buzz to, you know, buy your jersey or have you come to the car dealership and sign autographs like if you're the star quarterback. So I, I think schools need to go in with that understanding that, hey, not every kid's going to benefit off their name, image, image and likeness like they think, but you can't be the one to tell that player, nah, we're not going to push or feature you because what if that kid, you know, does something heroic on and off the field? What, what if you have a Keenan Lowe situation but Keenan does that while he's in college. I mean, you don't think that the, the Keenan Lowe brand blows up right. nationally after something like that. So you've got to prepare that. Hey, any kid has the opportunity to become a sensation the next day. Um, and as a coach and as a program, you've got to really sell kids like, hey, we're going to allow you the opportunity to feature your brand, your, yourself better than anybody. Um, even though in the back of your mind, you know, that that player is probably not going to attract the the compensation or the the stature that they may think that they have. But when you're at a program like Oregon, that's a national brand. I mean, how many guys from the East Coast, from the Midwest, from the South have talked about growing up watching Oregon football? I mean, it's a national brand. And you know, when you have the the ability to impact nationally, like Oregon has been able to have. That's going to make it an easier sell, but you know I think the smartest way to approach it is you approach each recruit in your class, whether it's a long snap or whether it's a quarterback, like they'll have that opportunity. And I think that that's going to be when you're at a school like Oregon that's so you know 
word association with Nike to that only enhances uh, your opportunities and only enhances your your chances with the recruit because they know that that's a, a national brand and it's a featured national brand. So I think it's really going to start to come into play these next couple classes. And I think you're going to see recruits asking that question much, much more. Here's Brandon Huffman of 24-7 Sports. Brandon, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. We will definitely get you on soon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.